We Americans have been lied to from earliest education all the way through to uh, what we're seeing in the media right now from the Democrats, from uh, progressives, but also, unfortunately, from all too many conservatives. And I want to examine some of the foundational lies that we have been subjected to uh, throughout our uh, time on this uh, earth and to examine a thinker who has offered us a way out of the mythology, a way out of the cave that has led us into our current uh, rather dire straits in American society. So we've been told as Americans that we are in a democracy, that our country is a democracy, that this is the form of our regime. And we are told that if anything is superior to democracy, it is the concept of rights, particularly the rights expressed in the Declaration of Independence and in the Bill of Rights, but perhaps other rights too, such as a right to abortion, uh, the right to same-sex marriage, any number of a panoply of new rights which have been concocted by progressives over the course of a century and more. We are further told that America is a fundamentally liberal country and that conservatism is an alien import. Conservatism, the story goes, is all about feudalism. It's about kings and hereditary aristocrats, primogeniture and entail. It's a European and fundamentally un-American ideology. Our tradition, and again, this is something we hear from uh, high school into college, and certainly it's regurgitated in the media over and over again, including from a great many conservatives. Our tradition, we are told, is exclusively liberal. It's democratic as well, and it's, uh, most importantly, it's based upon rights. And as I say, today, even American conservatives, especially among the intellectuals and journalists on the right, they tend to think of themselves precisely for this reason as classical liberals. We've heard that from a lot of former neoconservatives who have rebranded themselves as classical liberals. We have heard it from a number of libertarians who say that they are fundamentally classical liberals. And we hear it from a lot of just uh, normie conservatives and uh, a lot of uh, casual Republicans. They say, well, America's uh, tradition is really not that of conservatism. It's really a liberal tradition. And so while we may temporarily call ourselves conservatives for the sake of convenience or to distinguish ourselves from the uh, radical left, from others who have appropriated the liberal label, we are fundamentally the real liberals. We are the classical liberals. Now, they say that, and they will invoke the name of John Locke. They'll say that uh, the U.S. Constitution is a uh, you know, Lockean document. The Declaration of Independence, they will say, is a Lockean document. That Locke is the founding philosopher of the United States. And Locke himself was someone who lived before the great 19th century heyday of classical liberalism in terms of uh, actual political parties and policy. So John Locke was a, a political thinker who was in some ways perhaps ahead of his time. And it's not until the 19th century that you get, to start, you, you get ideologies uh, that are actively self-identifying as liberal and that are pushing ideas such as free trade and uh, you know, sort of uh, relatively open borders and uh, eventually on into the 20th century, a liberalism that is connected with the idea of exporting democracy. And there are a panoply of other ideas which have now come to be um, sort of glued together as an idea of modern liberalism. And this is something that, in many respects, classical liberalism leads towards, if not inevitably, then at least in a kind of natural and rather logical way. And it's a reason why you find figures like Francis Fukuyama, who are celebrated both by those conservatives who identify themselves as classical liberals and also by uh, a number of modern left liberal progressive types. Well, ladies and gentlemen, all of this is a lie, and it's not a noble lie. It is a myth, and it has a hold on our minds only because it has been lodged there by propaganda. 
all of this, the idea that we are a fundamentally liberal country, uh, the idea that uh, these rights are the most important things, all of this is as much a myth as the idea that there are more than two sexes, or as they call them, genders. Of course, there are actually three genders, but it's a grammatical term. It's masculine, feminine, and neuter. Well, these myths, these fabrications, and these outright lies were exposed about 60 years ago by one of the greatest conservatives of the 20th century, namely Wilmore Kendall. Particularly in his 1963 book, which has just been reissued, The Conservative Affirmation, and also after his 1967 death, his posthumous work, The Basic Symbols of the American Political Tradition, Wilmore Kendall examined what America is really based upon and how our tradition has actually developed. In The Basic Symbols, for example, he shows that we have a tradition that precedes liberalism, historically as well as philosophically. And this tradition is grounded in our experience as a colonial people well before the Declaration of Independence, well before the Constitution. As a colonial people, what was the basic symbol, what was the basic sort of political uh, idea or form that uh, our communities tried to adhere to from the Mayflower Compact onwards? It was that of a virtuous people deliberating under God. And each of these terms means something quite specific for Wilmore Kendall. First of all, the people have to be virtuous. If you do not have a virtuous people, everything else that we've tried to establish in America will collapse. We have a system that really does rely upon a people who have internalized both a strong sense of, uh, you know, sort of uh, obligation to one another and also an understanding that they are under God, that they are under the transcendent, they are under a higher power. They also have to be engaged in a process of deliberation. And again, this is a tradition that you find carried through from the Mayflower Compact all the way to a much mutilated form today. Deliberation means that we come together as a virtuous people, or as a people who are meant to aspire to virtue, who are meant to recognize that they are under God, and we discuss with, one our, with, with each other and uh, with our uh, brothers and sisters how we are going to organize our political order. And this was something that the American colonies had to do because, of course, they were so far remote from uh, England itself, from the metropole. They had to be self-organizing, self-governing, and self-disciplining. And this uh, tradition of self-government is really the taproot of the American Revolution. It was not a revolution brought about by newfangled ideas conceived by John Locke. It was a revolution fundamentally in defense of the way of life and the practices of the American colonies. And of course, in the uh, event of fighting for your uh, way of life, fighting for uh, to defend yourself, you may wind up having to adopt various novelties uh, in the course of a war. And that is something that we find both in the American Revolution and then subsequently as the Founding Fathers tried to reconstruct uh, the United States and rebuild a kind of central authority after we have uh, won independence from, the, from uh, England. But to uh, reconstruct that kind of authority required going back to this root idea of a virtuous people under God uh, coming together in deliberation. And the Constitution is a, a permutation of this tradition which in fact has rather deep colonial roots. Now, this idea of a virtuous people deliberating under God is rather at odds with the idea that there is a uh, kind of a special uh, clerical class, uh, a secular clerisy, which is uh, charged with preserving the idea of rights. Now think about this. We Americans have long been told that, well, you know, you, you can't have a majority just decide that they're going to throw aside all of the uh, rights to free speech or uh, any kind of other rights that are near and dear to our hearts. But think about this. Why would we assume that some minority is going to be a better guardian, a better protector for our rights than the people themselves, than the majority? 
who would this extremely, you know, sort of more than a popular uh, uh, degree of virtue, where would we find this kind of extremely uh, select group that would protect rights uh, when the people themselves are not willing to do so? Well, of course, what we find is that intellectuals and publicists, they anoint themselves as the guardians of rights, then they oftentimes will invoke, you know, sort of Kantian ideas, they'll invoke Lockean ideas, they'll invoke uh, notions of science. Uh, this self-appointed clerisy, which is then able to sort of um, bamboozle the public into accepting its authority, becomes a tyrannical force, an oligarchy, an intellectual and moral oligarchy, which then tries to override the rights of the people and the, 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 the ability of the people to govern themselves according to the basic symbols of the American political tradition. Now, you may be wondering, uh, you know, doesn't it seem crazy if we were to have a mass democracy in this country where, you know, everyone is voting in a plebiscite in a, a single national election about what our rights are? Well, that is not what Kendall was describing with the basic symbols of the American political tradition. What Kendall was describing, in fact, is the tradition of local and deeply rooted uh, community self-government. And it is through deliberation that you go from this locally rooted uh, form of government up to the national level. You have to have deliberation over uh, what kinds of representatives will be sent from congressional districts up to Washington. You have to have deliberation in originally the election of state senators who would then decide upon the selection of uh, U.S. senators. Uh, we've obviously changed that so now that we have a, uh, you know, statewide elections that are deciding upon the election of senators. But this idea of local self-government, local rule, is fundamental to our way of life and our system. And Wilmore Kendall quite brilliantly showed that there is a radical difference between this conservative, rooted idea of local community, deliberation under God and virtue, and what the left has been proposing more recently, which is a plebiscitary mass kind of democracy, which in fact, because it is at such a large level, without the kinds of local uh, connections that create a, a true virtue and a true sense of the public's needs, because things are, are very abstract when you take them to a national level, uh, a public that is conceived of as a national majority is much more easily manipulated by this uh, secular clerisy, by the, the journalists, by the academics, and basically by everyone that we consider now to be part of the left-wing liberal establishment. Well, I should say a few things uh, just to uh, sharpen how uh, radical and uh, conservative at the same time Wilmore Kendall's idea is. Because Wilmore, Wilmore Kendall, uh, who was uh, what has been described as, quote, a wild Yale don, he was one of the few uh, conservatives at Yale even in the 1950s. He was a formative influence on William F. Buckley Jr. Uh, he went so far in arguing for local self-government and for the rights of a local people to decide, uh, you know, what it means to, uh, you know, uphold their own way of life, that he even defended the right of the city of Athens to execute Socrates. And he said not only was Athens right to execute Socrates, but Socrates was right to accept the sentence of death that was imposed on him. And of course, if you know, uh, you know your Plato, you know that Socrates had opportunities to escape if he had wished to. He could have gone into exile if he had wished to, um, but he chose not to. And that's important because it shows that a, a true philosopher, someone who actually understands both the transcendent and also the imminent, is going to recognize the need for the kind of local self-government that Athens practiced, and Athens could be abusive in it for sure, uh, but that also American uh, towns and local communities have practiced as well. And it's not to say that Athens made the right decision 
in choosing to execute Socrates. But they were the correct authority in uh, imposing that sentence, and Socrates himself recognized that. So what we need to have in order to have a good society, a good form of politics, is a people that will use its local powers wisely. And they will use them wisely, again, if they recognize that they are under God and if they engage in this deliberation among themselves to pursue the virtuous path. If instead, however, they defer self-government to an intellectual clerisy, to pseudo-philosophers, to sophists, you will wind up exactly where we are today, with a tyranny of an unelected oligarchy of academics and journalists who shape and manipulate public opinion and are able to produce any kinds of results that they want, not only at the national level, but even now that they have overridden uh, the sort of local community uh, ethos, they're even able to you know, sort of creep into our local schools and transform them as well. Every community has a right to defend its public orthodoxy, which for Wilmore Kendall means its way of life and the very fundamental ideas that constitute that society. Uh, this, Wilmore Kendall saw, was the fundamental question that was at stake in the days of Senator Joseph McCarthy with his hunt for communists within government. Uh, as Kendall saw it, this was not simply a matter of subversion and infiltration. It was not simply a Cold War question. It was rather a question fundamentally of whether a nation, whether a community, whether this federal system of ours that is built up from the local level through to the national, whether it has a right to defend its own way of life, its own customs and its own thoughts, or whether in fact it must uh, submit to the demands of those who claim to speak in the name of rights that are all powerful, and it must do so even if this means that it winds up committing suicide by permitting people who are antithetical to and committed to the destruction of the community to enjoy so much freedom that they're able to use freedom to destroy itself. And with that, I will conclude, and again, I'll recommend Wilmore Kendall's The Conservative Affirmation. Thank you.